0: Our story continues after Jesus dips out. With the crowd who's gathering around the blind man, uh, who begin to ask questions, continue asking questions. They ask the blind man first. They don't like his question. They don't like his answers. So then they go to the man born blind's parents to ask them about the healing that's happened. His parents say, uh, "This dude is a grown-up, so." go talk to him. And so the Pharisees return to the man born blind, and our scripture picks up in verse 24 that Joan's going to read with the uh, Pharisees investigating this man born blind's healing once again. I want to invite you to be thinking and listening for the questions that are asked of the man born blind as Joan comes to read.
1: Our second reading from John, the story picks up in verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know this man, Jesus is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but does listen to one who worships God and obeys God's will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us. And they drove him out. We celebrate the written word of Scripture.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: We celebrate the living word. Christ among us.
0: Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God of grace, may the words of my mouth and the meditation on my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. This Lenten season, during our class time, during the sermon, we have had access to our wonder wall where kiddos have been invited to ask questions about God, about church, about faith. We introduced it at the beginning of uh, uh, Lent during our children's moment. And I was really excited about the Wonder Wall and getting to ask questions because it should surprise no one but I was absolutely one of those kids that loved asking why. I, wanted to know about everything, anything and everything. And I remember getting for my birthday one year from my parents uh, this giant book called The Big Book of Why, and it was full of trivial information. I took it to church with me. I loved that thing. It gave me so much information. I think asking questions helps us to seek understanding. And our story today is full of questions. As we gather on this fourth Sunday of our Lenten season, we're continuing to explore our theme, Seeking Honest Questions for a Deeper Faith, and we've been engaging our text and stories with questions these past few weeks. Is this the fast I choose? Who will you listen to? How do I begin again? Will you give me something to drink? We ask these questions to seek understanding and to source meaning from our sacred stories and tradition. And our question today comes from the first question that the disciples asked Jesus as they encountered a man born blind. The question, who sent? To be honest, I don't particularly love the question that the disciples ask. I don't think it's that great of a question. According to our stories, the uh, the disciples encounter a man born blind, and before asking if the man needs any help, any care, anything, they instead want to seek spiritual understanding into this man's ailment. They ask, who sinned to make this man be born blind? I would argue that it's actually the disciples themselves who are sinning by asking the question instead of seeking healing and redemption for the human they've come upon. The disciples want to impress Jesus with their piety and correct theology behind their question is the assumption that someone must have sinned so much that it caused this person to be born blind. A bad assumption forming a bad question. Who sinned? Often, our bad questions are shaped by bad assumptions. Considering our story today, the disciples begin their interrogation of the man born blind with the assumption that surely someone must have sinned because of this man's impairment. I imagine Jesus sitting with his question a lot in the same way that my parents sat with my questions, although I doubt Jesus rolled his eyes nearly as much as my parents. Jesus tells the disciples that no one caused this ailment And then he gets to the work that I think the disciples should have started with by tending to the man's needs through healing. Jesus heals the man and essentially dips out for the middle part of the story as everyone surrounding the healed man continues interrogating him. This man's community is unfazed at the sheer wonder of the miracle and instead fixates on the who and the how the miracle happened by asking questions. Fixated on the how so much that no answer satisfies them, considering they asked several times and several people the same questions looking for answers. Ultimately, this community decides that even though the man had spent his entire life already on the margins, already outside the community, he still was not enough. Even healed, he still was not enough to be a part of their community. And so they cast him out. You'll notice a subtle language change in how we talk about today's story. While growing up, I was taught the story of Jesus and the blind man. However, recent scholarship from disability theologians and advocates have suggested that we instead refer to the humanity of the person first, rather than their physical limitation. Hence we say person born blind. In learning about this language change this week, I've wondered what else disability scholars might have to say about the questions and assumptions posed in our scripture. Disability theology encourages us to reconsider how we've traditionally interpreted this text. Deborah Beth Creamer says, disability studies scholars and theologians have identified at least four different models of how to think about disability, moral, medical, social, and limits. Within the moral model, attention is paid to how disability is interpreted as either good or bad, and how people with disabilities are imbued with moral weight. Traditionally, our story today of Jesus encountering the man born blind falls within this moral model, which we'll come back to. The medical model includes treatment and understanding the physiological causes of disability The social model, rather than equating disability with physical impairment, the social model suggests that the problem of disability lies in society itself, its architecture, its attitudes, its assumptions, and is the foundation for most advocacy and scholarly work on disability today. Finally, the limits model takes the social model a step further and questions our assumptions about what it is to be normal or disabled in the first place. We traditionally interpret the story of Jesus healing the man born blind under the morals model, equating belief and faithfulness with physical healing. Yet Jesus moves to heal the man without questioning the man's belief or lack thereof the man embraces the mystery around Jesus and his healing. Jesus embraces the man. Jesus offers healing with no assumptions of sin made on behalf of the man born blind. And the man comes back from Siloam seeing both literally and spiritually. Those surrounding the man The disciples, his community, and the Pharisees are seen offering lots of assumptions behind their questions, beginning with the first question of who sinned. This question assumes that illness and disability are the result of sin. It assumes that man deserved to be born blind. It assumes that physical blindness is a form of failure. When dissecting the miracle, the crowd assumes that there must be a cause and effect, someone's fault and God's judgment at play. And when the actual effect is made known, the crowd refuses to believe the cause that has been given credit. Reverend Bruce Race Chow says, we want to believe, but only on our own terms. The disciples' first reaction is to debate the blindness and not deal at all with the human. Intellectualizing and theologizing outside of seeing the created being right in front of them led them to ask the wrong questions. Rather than ask, how can we heal? How can we help? They ask, what's wrong with him? Whose fault is it? In our story today, Jesus invites us to consider the whole of a person, not just a specific aspect of their identity. As I mentioned earlier, the limits model of disability theology challenges us to reconsider what we think of and know to be normal or not. It highlights impairment as an unusual, unsu- uh, not an unusual, but an unsurprising aspect of the human condition, something that we all experience at some point in our lives. Looking at our story through the limits model helps us challenge the assumption that a person's impairment is the result of sin. and reconsidering what we assume to be normal through this model, perhaps we can reconsider the assumption of the symbol of a wheelchair. Instead of seeing it as a sign of disability, Deborah Beth Creamer suggests that perhaps we consider it a piece of technology that assists the human journey, as does a car, a calculator, or eyeglasses. Author Stuart Strachan Jr. tells the story of an American woman visiting the Philippines who observed an elderly woman on the outskirts of Manila. The woman looked poverty-stricken and walked with the help of a cane down into a ditch alongside a main road. The American observed the woman struggling and assumed she needed help. As she approached the elderly woman, the woman began to shake her cane at the American, hurling curse words and threats. While somewhat unsure of the situation, the American continued to pursue the woman. It was not until she got close enough that she realized her mistake. The woman was not in trouble. She was just attempting to have her daily bathroom visit without the help of an over-anxious do-gooder American, assumptions. I have one last story, and it's a personal one. On the first Sunday, after moving from Alabama to San Anselmo to begin seminary, I walked with my next-door neighbor, Willa, down to First Presbyterian, San Anselmo for my first visit. I remember Joanne preaching, I remember the choir for the benediction singing high school musicals, we're all in this together, which as a millennial made my heart so, so happy. And Willa and I just loved it, loved it. Such a special way to start my journey here. After church, walk over to Duncan Hall to have some coffee, to introduce myself. I wish I could remember who it was, but I don't. But as I introduce myself to one of you, you ask about Willa and who she was in relationship to me. Is that your wife? You ask. I chuckled and said, no, just my neighbor. And then one of you surprised me. There was a major assumption behind your question. An assumption that I had come to San Anselmo to really start sitting with, to really start trying to figure out. Typically, when that question gets asked, it would bypass and we would continue on with the introductory questions. But, not this time. Instead, one of you looked me right in the eyes and said, oh, I'm so sorry for making that assumption. That is the moment that my journey of healing began here in this place, where we began learning together just how much grace abounds. Amen.